As some of you might remember, we're going to start a new series in James up until Palm Sunday, so 12 or 13 weeks. Um, James is a book that in Bible school, in seminary, they tell you to preach first because all the metaphors and examples are there. Um, that's what's been told for the past 150 years, and that's true in some ways, but it also makes it a little bit uh, trite. Like, oh, James is the book that the young guys preach in gals, so, so it's just kind of cute. And as I've studied and prepared, stop, stop all that. James is wonderful, and it's gonna, he's going to encourage us. His letter's going to encourage us, but at least in my study, it's not cute because it speaks to my heart, and at times my heart is not cute, ask my wife but it has to be molded and shaped by a loving God, and he's good to do that. A few housekeeping things before I pray and we'll get started. We will take the Lord's Supper together uh, after I preach, so I'll walk us through that as well. But joys and concerns are still a thing. We are encouraging anyone who has a joy or concern to get here a couple minutes early. There's some cards in the welcome room that say joy and concerns. Fill those out. We want it in writing. We want your joys in writing. We want your concerns in writing. And take those with you. And when we take our morning offering, simply bloop, we'll get those to our host and we'll do our thing. So please come a bit early to do that. There's twofold there. One, we want them in writing. Two, we want to encourage our folks to be here a few minutes early uh, to write those down and also fellowship and do some other things. And that we do have a dinner this Wednesday. Come join us if we're not flooded away by then. And uh, we'll spend some time in prayer and hanging out and fellowship. And then everybody hear this. Wednesday, February 8th, all church dinner. We want everyone to show up. We got some big, exciting news, Lord willing. We want to talk about what we might do in improving and updating some of the things in our facility, specifically our sanctuary, where you're sitting right now. So February 8th, it's on the calendar. Be here and come here and talk and ask questions and get excited about what God has provided and will provide and some of the ways we want to improve Our sanctuary, and the main reason, everyone go on three. One, two, three. We want to get rid of the old asbestos tile for lots of reasons. Um, One, moving forward. (laughs) We have a couple people who work in the trade are nodding their heads like, yes, get rid of it when you can. So uh, that's the main reason, and we'll have some discussion and conversation with that, seems like. So February 8th, be here. You'll hear much more about that. Trust me. It'll be a fun evening. Let me pray. Lots of rain, huh? Father, thank you for today. Help us open this letter written by a man uh, almost 2,000 years ago, a pastor at heart. Let us learn, let us be encouraged, and let us see what you have for us. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for his half-brothers or cousins, family. We thank you for the church and the lineage of what you've built. Help us now to learn and to become more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Housekeeping is out of the way. That's always a good thing. James is toward the back of your Bibles if you have one. And real quick, I'm going to do a setup for a few minutes, tell you some basic history about this guy James and what he did and how he died. And then we're going to get into the overview of the letter, the overview today. And then Next week, we'll start into a very familiar passage, which many of you might know. You might have a bumper sticker or a keychain. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Treat them as friends. Okay, we'll get that next week. So here we go. A little bit of history of James. 
James of Jerusalem, or James the Just, that's kind of his nicknames throughout church history, was the half-brother of Jesus. There are probably six to eight guys in the New Testament referred to as James, so it's very easy to get what? Confused. There's James the Greater, James the Lesser, James the This, James the That. But the gentleman who wrote this letter, and it was a letter, to churches, a big word, involved in the diaspora when they were scattering from persecution and different things, he wrote a letter in the year maybe 49 to 50 A.D., maybe. We think it, church history, and me reading it, thinks it was before the great council in Jerusalem in A.D. 50, so 49 maybe, okay? He wrote this letter trying to encourage believers after pastoring for 15 years. And here's the crux. This is where we're going the whole series. How many of you guys have heard the Apostle Paul or read him? He's amazing. How about Peter? How about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writer of Hebrews? All the New Testament folks, they write with certain audiences in mind. Matthew is writing in a very Jewish way. We see themes. Mark apparently was young. He might have been a scribe of Peter or others, some believe, but his whole point was, how many young people, I'm not too young anymore, but I still do it, are always about, let's do this now, 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 let's go, let's go, go, hurry up. That's Mark, if you read it, it's like, dude, slow down, no more caffeine, like, calm down, like, like, give me a story. John hardly referred to himself. He was often, I don't want to say the most humblest, because so that means he's not humble, right? But he would refer to himself in third person and we see him as the revelator, the one who wrote Revelation, but also this apostle or disciple of love. But there's a lot of Christology, big word. There's a lot of, about Jesus, who he is in John's gospel. Luke was a Gentile. He was a historian and doctor. He wrote very differently, and he wrote Acts as well. This guy, James, as we'll see up until Easter, he was a pastor, and he wasn't an itinerant preacher. Oftentimes I would love to be an itinerant preacher for a year. You know why? You can go wherever you want and say God's called me and say pretty much whatever you want, get paid and leave. You can go to lots of different churches and lots of different areas, teach the Bible. Everyone usually when a guest comes goes, that was wonderful. You and your wife are great. Godspeed, here's a check. And you are in the rear view mirror driving to the next town. That has its challenges, I'm sure. I've never done it. I've seen some writings of some guys who have done it, and sometimes it gets dangerous because you, be, you begin to read the newspaper clippings of what everyone is saying about you, and sometimes there's sin and struggle that comes involved. That wasn't James. That wasn't Paul or Peter, but they were more along those lines. Paul was a pastor per se, but he was more of a theologian, church planner, and missionary. But James was in and around Jerusalem for up to 30 years with similar folks. James married families, saw people get married. James saw children be born. James performed funerals or oversaw them. James went through the ups and downs with people, and it's a different relationship when someone's been there for a long time, right? And so James, in the middle of his pastorate, is writing Church history says he died in either A.D. 62 or A.D. 69, martyred, stoned. I'm going to go with 62 just because that's my hunch. 
69 points to the siege upon Jerusalem that was happening, and some bad things were starting to happen. So in the 60s, in the seventh, seventh decade after Jesus was born, James was martyred for his faith. He was gone. And he wrote, and there's three major sections of the book. James 1, 1, chapter 1, verse 1 through 27, is about true and genuine religion. We hear that in America in 2017 and go, ooh, religion. I'll talk about that briefly. Second kind of section is about genuine faith. That's James 2, verse 1 through James 3, 12. And the last part of the book is about genuine wisdom. I need to know more about genuine religion, good religion. I need to know more about genuine faith. And I certainly need to know more about genuine wisdom. So over the next few weeks, come with me. Let's learn. Let's learn. Jerusalem was filled with Hebrew Christians mostly who were converting. They were believing in Messiah and James was their pastor. Many believe he took over from another gentleman who was martyred in the year AD 40 to 42. It's hard to know exactly. Church legend says that James's knees looked like camel knees. Just legend because he prayed so much and he prayed on his knees. James wrote this epistle about the praxis or the living out of genuine religion, genuine faith that comes from genuine wisdom. That's why it's so important to see. Now, let me hit on religion for a sec. How many of you have seen the bumper sticker? I've even said it. I'm not religious. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, whatever that means. When James is talking about religion, he is talking about it in an encouraging way because it doesn't have the stigma that it has today. Why does religion have stigmas? Because of us. Let's just be honest in church, right? Not you per se and me, but because of people who adhere to religion and do things in the name of God which are from the evil one. All sides. I don't care what your religious bent is, if you walk into a room and take the lives of innocent people because God told you so, whether it's a Christian God or a Muslim God, Hindus not really, but some other cult-like things, that's not religion. It's not. If you spew hatred from your heart towards other people based on belief, race, creed, economic, or anything else, you don't have a religion, you have a made-up whatever. So as we've lived for 2,000 years, and as now we're in the media digital age, we see things all over. Today, something happened in Jerusalem. We'll pray for those people. Terrorist attacks all over. Everyone is claiming God, per se, or religion, and that's why religious stigma is here. Some of it warranted. In James, when he's writing, religion was a good thing. What was Jesus' religion growing up? Ever think about that? It wasn't Christianity. Uh-oh, they all don't believe now. He was Jewish. He practiced Judaism. He was brought up in a home where he would learn the prayers. He was circumcised. He was dedicated. And he practiced the practice of Judaism. That was his religion. Now, we would argue he was fulfilling his 
Jewish religion to birth God's kingdom in Christianity. Amen. But that was religion, and James is writing it in that ilk. So we have to see that. John read it, but James' summation, after walking with Jesus, here's a little, another little debate. In the Gospel of John, it appears Jesus' family, they're either his half-brothers or cousins, they're part of his family, you don't have to stumble over that. They don't believe in him as Messiah. They actually tell him, go to the people who believe you, we're done with your stick. And much of what church history tells us, James, this James, the writer, James the Just, Camelney James, believed in Christ after the resurrection. <laughs> so it appears this gentleman grew up in and around near Jesus, was either a cousin or a half-brother, heard some things, saw some things, and because in many ways he knew him, he was like, no way, that's my family, that's my little brother or little cousin or whatever we want to do. He might have been a half-brother through Joseph. That's all a whole other debate. Don't stumble on that. But when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared is when James was converted. And he would then later die for his faith. So that's how we have to take James. James did not grow up in a, I love Jesus, I love Jesus home when he was in diapers. But James had an encounter with the Lord the risen Lord, because Paul talks about that, and his life was forever changed. So in his writing, James 1, verse 26. This is hard, folks, so we'll take communion in a few moments to rest, because this is, these verses are hard. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, de but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now again, when James was writing, everybody was religious. You could debate till the cows come home whether people are religious or not. I think everyone's religious. It's what do they choose to believe in worship? <laughs> All religion is is a set of rules and beliefs that shape your life. I shouldn't even say that. A set of beliefs People will stumble over rules. Let's shape your life. What religions are there in Silicon Valley? Anybody work in that industry? Some I don't know about, but I'm sure they're there. What religions are there in America the last 50 years? And I'm not talking about the big ones. The religion I grew up in was the American dream. I grew up in the 80s in San Mateo. My parents were halfway through college, both of them. They worked hard. They obeyed the law, and they bought a house. And they had one rug rat who drove them crazy and no more. <laughs> but that's what shaped me growing up. That's the set of beliefs I grew up in. Many other people grew up in different type of belief systems. But James comes right out of it and says, I don't care what you know. I don't care where you worship. I don't care how much knowledge is in your head. I don't care what you've done for said religion. If you cannot control that two-ounce piece of flesh in your mouth, this gets hard because, oh, you know how many words the average human speaks a day? 
less now than the iPhone came out, by the way. But I count, I count texting as words. We can't get out on our fingers, right? A lot. And James is saying, and he's really speaking to the practice of humanity, the practice of religion. And remember what I defined hypocrisy was a couple months ago was playing a part to be praised by others. James tackles hypocrisy right here. And he says, I don't care what you wear after pastoring for many years. I don't care what your family lineage is. I don't care what you think you know or how you served. But if you cannot control what comes from inside you, that's texting nowadays or email, your religion is worthless. Where would James get this? Was he just a frustrated, disgruntled pastor? I'm tired of people coming to my office. I'm tired of ancient email. I'm tired of people being jerks. Maybe, I don't know. I'm tired of the gossip. I'm tired of the slander. I'm tired of these people. Lord, maybe he prayed a lot, but I'm gonna go deeper. I'll give Timmy a sec because I didn't print it out for him. It's in the printer over there. Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Verse, let's go to verse 10. Jesus talking to Pharisees. Jesus engaging with people who would want to see him eradicated, big word, or gone. Teaching him parables the way he did. Matthew 15, 10, we'll read through it. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. Next verse. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. See, what has always been the case is mostly men, ladies, you're off the hook mostly on this one, mostly men make up systems and rules to control people. That's what most religions are. They set up tiny kingdoms on earth and they say, if you do this, if you give this, if you dress like this, if you eat this, if you behave like this, if you marry this person, you'll be good with us and you'll be good with God. And Jesus came and said, hogwash to all that. And then he later taught, especially in the circles of those Pharisees, things like this. Because there were strict laws when Jesus was speaking here about what someone could and could not eat. And if someone ate something that defiled them, they were restricted from worship and restricted from community until they performed ceremonial cleansings. And Jesus coming to usher in the kingdom of God go, you guys have it all backwards. What is in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. That's all he says. It's not what you put in your stomach. Look at Jesus teaching uh, biology way back when. Next verse. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus knew. Next verse. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Speaking about the Pharisees. Uh-oh. Next verse. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus gets very philosophical there. Speaking in parables again. Next verse. 
But Peter said to him, help. What are you talking about? Help me. Got to love Peter. Be a Peter sometimes. If you don't know, help. Maybe do it in the sermon. Maybe. We'll see where it goes. I don't know. 16. And he said, are you still also without understanding? Next verse. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? I'm potty training a three-year-old right now. I get that. Like, I get it fully. My little Holland, she's doing great, but I understand what the Lord was saying there. She eats, a few hours pass, and it comes out. Hopefully she eats healthy, and guess what? Hopefully she grows strong, right? Jesus breaks it down. Next verse. Uh Uh-oh. Religion, in a good sense, not in a CNN sense or a Fox News sense or an MSNBC sense or a Facebook sense or a Twitter sense or an Instagram sense or any of those other senses, religion from God is good for our soul because it deals with our heart. It deals with our heart. So Jesus coming, showing us what God is like, ushering into the kingdom, living the life we couldn't live and dying the death we shouldn't die. Don't ever try and crucify yourself. And then placing our faith in him by grace now says, I will teach you about pure and undefiled religion. God's religion. Religion that will bring unity and love and harmony and potential peace. Like real peace. Like peace. But I'm going to work on your heart. Because what comes out of your mouth or what comes off of your keyboard comes from your heart, not from your stomach. And your heart is what I'm after, Jesus says, not your stomach. But he wants to work on our stomachs too sometimes because that's a hard issue as well. Jesus is a bad dude in a good way. So we have to see this. James is simply affirming what his master taught many in him. James doesn't come up with this out of, I think I'm frustrated with people. James is commentating on what he learned from Jesus from a pastor's heart to help people grow and know Christ. And then look at the next verse, Jesus says. He's backing up the Sermon on the Mount. That's all, that's all we covered in Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7. That's all of it. Next verse. The heart is the issue. This is what religion focuses on. Washing your hands. Making sure you're clean on the outside. This is what God and grace focuses on. The heart of human beings. That's why he's a good father. And we're preaching backwards Timmy, can you go up to Matthew 15, 7? Because I want to give you a little bit of the context. So show you the confrontation with the Pharisees, then into a parable. So he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's dealing with hypocrisy. And then he brings up Isaiah. Next verse. This is religious hypocrisy. This is what Jesus and James are dealing with. These people honor me in external ways, but they're far from me in their hearts. And that's what James is getting at. And that's why this book is good for us, church. Can you go to James 1.27? We'll finish up. In a moment, we'll call the 
worship team, Russ and John up, and we'll partake in the Lord's Supper. In, in James one twenty seven, James doubles down. He says, um, what comes out of your mouth is from your heart, and we have to control that in grace. Christ will teach us how to do that. He's taught me. I want to teach you as a pastor. That's what James is saying. That's what I want to do is teach all of us in my own heart. And then he talks about justice. Not oppressing people who are easily oppressed. you got to hear that. you got to deal with that because there's big money in that and there's some charlatans out there dealing with that. But part of good religion is seeking to do justice. And I'm going to argue that this is how we keep ourselves unstained. We, by faith, receive Jesus as Savior. What does that mean? We believe and we grow. I can talk to you more about that. In that pursuing and walking with Jesus, we learn about him. We start to pray. We read the scriptures. Our heart is formed we begin to do things which he taught us to do, dealing with anger and hatred and reconciliation in our mouth. We see the needs of others as important. We see them as being human, even if they don't believe the same things as us, and we want to engage in love and be kind and show mercy. And all of that is part of God's method of discipleship to keep us unstained. Church, hear me. There is so much out there that can stain me. And you. There is so much out there that can tarnish my soul, that can make my heart defiled and begin to show me how to defile myself. The internet. Alone. But what James is reminding us and what he'll remind us is as we pursue Jesus, as we call him rabbi, and as we are disciples, none of us perfect, but as we walk with him, he will work on our hearts. He will mold our hearts. And he'll begin to reorient us into kingdom work. And what is kingdom work? There's a couple things. Love God, love others, and pursue Jesus. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together, as we've done in the past. We will have our ushers come forward in a moment after I pray, and we will pass out the elements. Russ and John will lead us in one song. Halfway through the song, they'll pause, I'll come up, and we'll take the bread together as a family, as a body. After that, they'll complete the song. We'll pass the grape juice, representing the blood of Christ. And we'll partake in that as well. I hope you are intrigued to go on a couple-week journey of James. James has some interesting things to say. And he will, in a good way, reorient us and shock us. And that's always good, especially in the new year. Let me pray as the ushers come forward. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for... Um, your son and your scriptures, and the men and women who have followed you for 2,000 years. Thank you for a simple yet 
massive illustration of what pure religion is. Thank you for the gift of you wanting to work on the hearts of your people. Work on our hearts as we celebrate and um, remember what you did for us. Minister to our hearts. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.